Hey, how about that celebrity cameo there? Troy Mower's got some tricks up his sleeve. Well, it has been an eventful week for many of us here. And in some ways, this week has been really good. The Plum Creek Men's Retreat is a great example. On Friday and Saturday, we had over 70 guys out at Potter's Ranch, and we spent time in worship, we encouraged each other, we sharpened each other, and we also, we also competed in some pretty crazy challenges, and we do have video, by the way, so we'll be sharing that at some point. But in all seriousness, it was a great retreat, and God was working there. So in some ways, it's been a good week. In other ways, though, it's been tough. And because of that, I want to spend some time praying together as a group at the end of the sermon today. In the meantime, though, I am excited to get back preaching as we wrap up this Life Hacks series. And I want to thank Dylan for doing a great job of taking us through 3 John over the last two weeks. And throughout this series, we've been learning that life works better when you do things God's way. Life is better when you walk in God's truth. Life is better when you show hospitality. Life is better when you choose to be humble. Today, we're going to read the conclusion of 3 John, the shortest book in the whole Bible. And here's what we're going to learn. Life is better when we do good. Now, before we dig into Scripture and see what John has to say, I want to acknowledge something. That sentence right there may seem like the most basic thing you've ever heard. It almost sounds like something you'd say to a five-year-old, right? Like, hey, little girls and boys, you know what we should do? We should do good to others. We should be nice. We should help people. We shouldn't hurt people. So just go out and make the world a better place. And yeah, it's true. This is a very basic idea. I do think we all would agree that the world would be a better place if everyone followed those instructions. But what happens when we take this principle and look at it from a more grown-up perspective? All of a sudden, it gets a little more complicated. Let me ask a deeper question. Life is better when we do good. Okay, apply that to me. What exactly is my responsibility here? I know I'm supposed to do good. I get that. I should be kind and generous and loving and all of that. But who am I responsible for? How many people should I be good to? Should I limit my goodness and my compassion to my own family? Well, that would be pretty stingy, wouldn't it? But then how wide should the circle be? Am I really supposed to do good to total strangers? And if so, how many? How far do we take this? There are more than seven and a half billion people in this world, and many of them have urgent needs. They're hungry, or they're sick, or they're lonely. They need someone to show compassion, to do good. The other day, my kids and I saw this video about these children in India who were blind, They were born blind, but their condition is curable. All they need is a $300 surgery, and they'd be able to see. Their families can't afford that. And I got to thinking, could my family come up with $300 to pay for one surgery for one of those kids? We probably could. 
But, you know, I've never been to India. I don't know any of these people. I, I'm, I'm way over here in Kentucky. So should I be expected to do that? At the end of the video, they mentioned that 20 million adults and children in India need this surgery. And I definitely can't cover $300 times 20 million. I can't get to everyone. But on top of that, this is only one problem. In addition to the blind people in India, there are billions more who need help. And many of them are much closer to home. So again, what exactly is my responsibility? Well, obviously, I, I shouldn't be doing nothing. At the same time, though, I can't do everything for everyone. So my responsibility is somewhere between nothing and everything. Somewhere in that zone. It's a pretty wide range, isn't it? So if that's true, how can I ever know that I'm doing enough? And what would God say about this? What, what is the expectation for a follower of Jesus when it comes to doing good? When I think about all of the needs in this world, it's easy to get overwhelmed. To be honest, I can get overwhelmed when I think about all the needs in just this church. And unfortunately, feeling overwhelmed can sometimes leave us paralyzed the task is so great that we may just turn away from all the needs and go watch TV. But this is where God's Word can help. We're going to look at some Scripture today that will give us a better idea of what God would have us do. So first, let's jump back into the book of 3 John, and let's read the last few verses of this book, this tiny book. Now remember, this is the Apostle John writing here, one of the original 12 disciples of Jesus and he's writing to a younger friend named Gaius. There's only one chapter in 3 John, and we're down to verse 11. John writes, Dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God. Anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Demetrius is well spoken of by everyone, and even by the truth itself. We also speak well of him, and you know that our testimony is true. I have much to write you, but I do not want to do so with pen and ink. I hope to see you soon, and we will talk face to face. Peace to you. The friends here send their greetings. Greet the friends there by name. Okay, so it's taken us four weeks, but we have finally finished. We've finally read all of 3 John, all 14 verses, four weeks. And we talked about the fact that this is a personal letter, it's written from one friend to another, and that's exactly how it reads, right? John says, hey, guys, hope to see you soon. We will talk face to face. So there's a lot of personal information in this section we just read, but what I really want to do is focus on what John said in verse 11. So let's go back and read that again. John said, dear friend, do not imitate what is evil, but what is good. Anyone who does what is good is from God, and anyone who does what is evil has not seen God. Now, it might seem like John is speaking in very generic terms here. Do what is good. Don't do what is evil. And it's true, the wording in this particular verse is very general, but let's not forget the context. John wrote this letter to address a very specific situation. And if you were here the last two weeks, you may remember what's going on. 
John was writing to encourage his friend Gaius to say, hey man, you are doing good stuff and keep it up. But then John was also writing to confront the bad behavior of a selfish man named Diotrephes. So first, what was Gaius doing right? Well, some missionaries had been passing through town, and Gaius and some other Christians did a great job of showing hospitality to these missionaries, feeding them, housing them, caring for their practical needs. And John was like, all right, Gaius, high five. You have discovered a life hack here. Life is better when we show hospitality. Now, Diotrephes was at the opposite end of the spectrum, and John did not hesitate to call him out. John said, this Diotrephes, he loves to be first. He's been spreading lies about faithful leaders in the church, and he refuses to show hospitality to others. In other words, he's the perfect example of what a Christian should not be, because life is better when we choose to be humble. And that was last week's life hack. So now, keeping all of that in mind, how does this context help us understand what John says in verse 11 here? Going back to that, John says, dear friend, dear Gaius, don't imitate what is evil. Don't follow the example of Diotrephes. Imitate what is good. Follow the example of Jesus. You just keep being faithful. You keep showing hospitality. Keep up the good work because your goodness is evidence that you belong to Jesus. Now, let's make sure we don't get mixed up here. John does not say that we can earn God's approval or earn salvation by doing good works, but he does say that doing good is evidence that you belong to Jesus and God is changing your heart. And that's how we get to today's life hack. Life is better when we do good. So that means we're right on track when we teach kids to go out and do good and make the world a better place. But how do we, do, how do we deal with that grown-up perspective I mentioned? What should we expect from a follower of Jesus when it comes to doing good? Well, according to 3 John, we know one thing. We know every follower of Jesus should show hospitality when a missionary comes to town, right? We got that. But what about the blind children in India? What about homeless people in Cincinnati or northern Kentucky? What about families in our church who need help? Where does our responsibility start and end? Well, the truth is 3 John doesn't give us a whole lot of information about that. But there's good news. We can find a lot of help in other passages of Scripture. For, for example, check out what the Apostle Paul writes in Galatians chapter 6, verses 9 and 10. Paul is writing to Christians here. He's writing to the church, and he says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Okay, so now we're talking. There's all kinds of good stuff in those verses. First of all, I love the honesty in the beginning of verse 9 there. Paul says to the church, hey, let us not become weary in doing good. And why would he say that? Because that's a real threat, isn't it? Sooner or later, All of us experience this. We all get sick of doing good. There comes a day when 
you're tired of serving and sharing and giving, and you just want to run away from all the demands and responsibilities of life and do what you feel like doing. So what are the reasons why we might grow weary in doing good? I got to thinking about this, and I came up with a short list. I've already, I've already mentioned one reason why we might grow weary, and that's just because we feel overwhelmed. Maybe you're saying, there is too much need around me, and I know I can't help everyone, so maybe I won't help anyone. So that's number one, but there are other reasons. The second on my list is opposition, because you've been out there, you've been trying to do good, but you ran into criticism or pushback, and you just got tired of it. The third reason I came up with is fear. You're, you're afraid and you're concerned about the personal cost of getting involved. And that cost could be financial, but it could also be counted in terms of your comfort or your safety or your relationships or your reputation. And sometimes we're afraid to take a hit in those areas. Or how about this reason we might grow weary? Discouragement. You don't feel like you're making much of a difference, so why not just quit? It could be that your situation is different, though. Maybe you went past the point of weariness all the way to burnout. And it may be completely accurate when you say, I just got nothing left to give right now. And if that's the case, maybe the best thing you could do is take some time to get healthy before you jump back into the work of doing good. And there's one more thing I need to add to this list, and it's really just old-fashioned selfishness. You're weary of doing good because you just want to focus on yourself. You, you want to do what feels good and what's comfortable. But in Galatians 6 verse 9, you know who Paul is talking to? He's talking to everybody on this list. So if you're feeling selfish or overwhelmed or fearful, if you're facing opposition or discouragement, even if you've gotten to the point of burnout, Paul is saying, hey, it is not God's will that you would permanently stop doing good in order to focus on yourself. It's not what he wants. God has a plan to use you to make a difference in this world for his kingdom, for his glory. And if your life has been changed by Jesus, your goodness will be evidence that you belong to God. So let's not grow weary and quit We'll reap a good harvest if we don't give up. But again, how do I know when I'm doing enough? What's the expectation? What is my responsibility? Well, Paul addresses that too. Look again at verse 10. He says, Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. Now, this verse does say, do good to all people, but if we read it closely, we see some very helpful qualifications here. First, he's speaking to the church, remember, and it says, Christians should do good especially to others within our church family. So we should prioritize the care of other brothers and sisters in Christ. Now, like I said earlier, in our congregation, in our congregation alone, there are so many needs. Right now, this week, we're praying for the family of Shelby Hodge, who tragically passed away on Friday evening, 26 years old. 
We're praying for Cherie Harper and her family. We don't know what the future is for her, but it's a very serious situation. We have other families who have recently lost a loved one or they're going through some other crisis. So many needs. And Plum Creek and every local church has been called by God to do a great job of caring for each other. Just a few verses earlier in this chapter, Paul says, carry each other's burdens and in this way you will fulfill the law of Christ. And then Jesus himself said, by this everyone will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And I think it's obvious no single person can meet all the needs in our church. And it takes more than a few elders and ministers to care for hundreds and hundreds of people. We're all in this together. That's why we encourage everyone to get in a life group. And then we encourage every life group to care for every person in your group. I'm sure Plum Creek has not done a perfect job of carrying each other's burdens. But I do see a lot of people reaching out and doing good. I see many of you providing prayer and food and all kinds of support. And that's really encouraging. And my prayer is that we'll get even better at caring for each other within this family of believers. So doing good within the church, that's part of the equation. But let's make sure we notice that word especially in Galatians 6 verse 10. Paul tells Christians to do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of believers. So, do you see what he's saying there? Paul says, yes, it is biblical, it is part of God's plan for the church to care especially for others inside the church. However, let's make sure we get this, it's not biblical for the church to care exclusively for those inside the church. This principle of especially is not the principle of only. We can't focus internally, and then let the rest of the world fend for themselves. Jesus gave specific instructions for His followers to go out into the world and bring His light into darkness. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 16, Jesus said, in the same way, let your light shine before others that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. So, what happens when we get this right? When we, the church, followers of Jesus, choose to do good and show Christ-like love and compassion, we stand out in this world. People will see Jesus in us. They'll see His humility. They'll see His willingness to serve and to sacrifice. And that is one way for us to point people to Jesus. Down the road, someone might look at you and say, you know, I've had my doubts about Christianity, but he's for real. She's for real. So maybe I should take a second look. You know, I think uh, Billy Graham had that effect on people. So that's part of the motivation here. We who are Christians should do good and let our light shine before others so that they will see and one day glorify our Father in heaven too. But now, did we ever answer the question I asked back at the beginning? Are followers of Jesus responsible to do good to every single person around the world? 
Well, Paul had some helpful words to say here as well. He said, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people. And that's an important phrase there, as we have opportunity. The original Greek here says, as we have time. See, God knows that we have limited resources. Each one of us has only a certain amount of time. We only have a certain amount of money and a certain amount of energy. Our resources aren't infinite, they're finite. But then the resources we do have give us opportunities. We don't have the time or money or energy to help everyone, but we do have the opportunity to help someone. I love how a preacher named Andy Stanley puts it. He says, do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. That is a great plan for doing good in a sustainable way. You can't help everyone. If you try, you'll end up broke and burned out. So let's not get overwhelmed. Let's just keep an open mind and an open heart and see who God puts into our path. Then, if you have the resources and you have the opportunity, you can do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. And then think about this. What happens if an entire church takes on this challenge? And what would happen if every authentic Christian all over the world would take on this challenge? What if we all ditch those reasons why we grew weary of doing good and then we just do for one. Man, if everybody does that, if the whole church comes together, truly amazing things can happen. God can use us to make a dent in problems that seemed impossible to solve. Take homelessness, for example. Can Plum Creek solve homelessness? No, we can't. The problem is too big, even if we just focused on greater Cincinnati. But when a group of Christians and a group of churches come together and say, yeah, we're going to work together and we're going to do what we can, well, then we can actually start to make a difference. I say that because it's already happening. You may be aware that Plum Creek is working with a local ministry called Family Promise. We wanted to share a little more of that story today, so let's watch this video together. shelter in the state of Kentucky that we're aware of. We take four families up to 14 people at a time. Hi, I'm Amanda Spire, the executive director here at Family Promise. Uh, we were lucky enough to reopen our doors July 18th of 2016. So that holds a special place in our heart. Um, we're the first, you know, all-inclusive family shelter to give back to our community. You know, the community recognized the need here that there was nowhere for homeless families to go. Um, and they came together and they fixed it. They didn't take the federal or state government to fix it. The community just 
wrapped arms and said, we're gonna do this. So one of our very first families that we served was a husband and wife, freshly married about a year, year and a half. They both were 24 and collectively making about $20 an hour. Um, they went to sleep one day as a married couple and they actually woke up and had custody of their two nieces. Um, and surprisingly then just a few weeks later they woke up and they had custody of their two nephews. So they went from a married couple, 24, to now a family of six living in a one bedroom townhouse, um, which obviously wasn't suitable for a family of six. They moved in with family members in the basement um, and the cabinet came to them and said this is not livable conditions. There was mold, there was bugs, and you got to find a place for these kids or we're going to remove them from you and we're going to put them in the system. So um, this family found Family Promise and came to us really kind of looking for any assistance they could get. We had just opened our doors, so we had plenty of space. Um, we took them in and they thrived. Dad got a job. Um, Mom and Dad both ended up actually working together at a daycare and that helped with childcare assistance. The older two children were able to go to school and just needed aftercare. Um, while they were here, they worked on education, employment. We were able to find them a two bedroom townhouse in Boone County, which they really wanted to live in. We moved them out and they are super successful. Um, they actually still visit us pretty regularly. And last year they welcomed their first child of their own. So now they are a family of seven. Um, I just saw them this week and they stopped in. Everyone is thriving. They just purchased a new van. Um, Dad was raving about his credit score to be able to buy a new um, to apply for a mortgage loan and hopefully within a year or so they have a home to call their own. This is a working program. Um, I can't tell you how many families graduate our program and they tell us that was hard. You know, getting your life back on track is hard. That's the whole point. Um, we don't put families in situations to, to make their life difficult. We put families in real life situations because family promise won't always be here to hold their hand. So we're not a handout we are a hand up we, we're going to give you the tools the foundation the skill set that you need to provide for your family outside of family promise this program allows the opportunity to bring in multiple denominations to provide volunteer service hours so requirement for our families entering care is not to be you know affiliated with any religious entity or to have any spiritual beliefs but what we found is our churches are amazing i mean you all know that you, you go to church where, where you go to church but our churches do care and they, they have an ability to teach, you know, the message of Jesus and help provide those, um, those things that our families didn't even know that they needed. We've had multiple families since graduation of our program, you know, um, align with or become members of some of our congregations. Um, they, we've had a lot of our congregations offer, hey, we've got Bible study tonight, or there's a men's group that meets. You wouldn't believe how um, you can just see the weight come off their shoulders when they're invited to a men's or women's group because they're dealing with this situation where they've been in turmoil or in crisis and they're trying to figure out how to keep their family together and then somebody comes in and says, hey, Amanda, do you want to go to a women's group tonight with me? You mean I get to have adult time with people that care about who I am and they might teach me a few things along the way? Absolutely. 
Um, and so we've been able to partner with our churches and avail those opportunities. Um, and we've had a lot of families come and say, hey, I want to become a member of that church. How do I do it? My favorite part of Family Promise um, definitely would be the success stories and families graduating. So seeing a family pack their bags to leave shelter is kind of a bittersweet moment, but it's so cool to take them from, you know, having nothing to walking them into their front door of their new home. Um, we opened in July of 2016 and we have currently successfully transitioned 20 families back into the community and all 20 families are still 100% successful in the community. So how can you get involved? It's easy. You just contact Susan Prather, um, who is a long-term member of Plum Creek, and she will happily get you uh, linked up with your church in the way that you all provide service. Um, or you can come down into our building. We love to have visitors anytime. After all, this is your program. Come see us, take a tour, meet the families, um, and, and get involved. Thank you, Plum Creek, for everything that you do and being such a huge part of our story. Man, we praise God for the great things that are happening through Family Promise. And if you want to learn more about this ministry, you can go out to the gathering area after the service, and there's a display out there. You can meet Susan Prather if you don't already know her, and you could sign up for the next time when we'll be hosting families here at Plum Creek, and that's coming up the week of March 18th. Now, volunteering in this ministry doesn't require a lot of commitment. You could help with one meal or drive the van one time, or stay overnight just once. But when you do that, you'll have the opportunity to build a relationship and make a connection. You'll have the chance to do for one what you wish you could do for everyone. So this is a life hack. Life is better when we do good. And it's not just because doing good makes you feel good, although that's often true. It's more than that. Life is better when we do good because this is a way for others to see Jesus in us. It's a way to lead others to a life-changing relationship with Him. So we never want to grow weary in doing good. You know, I don't have to tell you that this world is messed up. You already know that. It's so easy to walk through life feeling overwhelmed or discouraged we're afraid. In the 11 days since the school shooting in Florida, we've seen all kinds of fear. We've seen anger. And lots of times, fear turns into anger. People are arguing about what's wrong with this world and how to fix it. And in a climate like this, today's message might seem a little simplistic. But I love the Bible. It's not simplistic. It's realistic. And God's Word prepares us for living in a crazy, messed up world. Romans 12, 21 says, Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with what? With good. But how do we do that? Well, we can't do it with our own power, and we can't do it with our own strength. We'll grow weary if we try. 
But when, when we belong to Christ, if you have a life-changing relationship with Him, God gives you power through His Holy Spirit. God will give you the power to do good and be a light in a dark world. So I want to close this morning by connecting to that power. I want to close with prayer. I know that many people disregard the power of prayer today. They think it's pointless, but they're wrong. See, the truth is, you can look at all kinds of problems in our society today, everything from poverty and hunger to mass shootings to death itself. All of these problems are spiritual in nature. None of these problems existed until sin entered this world. Suffering and death are a part of this world because humanity has chosen sin over God. These are spiritual problems, and that means our society will never find real solutions apart from God's power. So let's take a moment to seek God. Let's take a moment to pray and ask God to do what only He can do. Here's how we're going to do this. I'm going to give you some guided things to pray about. And then from right where you are, let's all pray together. God can hear all of us at the same time. And He makes His power available to us. So let's seek Him and let's ask for Him to work. As we close our eyes and go to God in prayer, first... Let's think of those families in and around Plum Creek who are going through a difficult time right now. Let's pray for the family of Shelby Hodge. Let's pray for Cherie Harper and her family. You may know of others who are in special need of God's power and presence and comfort right now. So let's just take a few moments and lift up these families. let's go to God and lift up our schools lift up the students teachers and administrators let's pray for God's protection and his peace when it's easy to be afraid let's pray for, for God to somehow get to the hearts of those who's who are maybe cold and even considering evil things right now let's pray that God will provide the people or the direct life change that needs to happen there. Let's, let's pray.
Finally, let's widen the circle. There are billions of people in need in this world. And so think of one. Think of one person, one situation you know about. It may be on the other side of the world. It may be you know, a homeless family in northern Kentucky. Maybe someone hungry or lonely or just without Jesus. Let's all choose one, wherever they may be, and let's lift up that one person right now. Father, I thank you for hearing us. You know how broken this world is. You see it, but you're not intimidated by it. And I thank you for that. I thank you that you're bigger than even our biggest problems. So we come to you. We are depending on you, depending on your power, your strength, your truth, and your love. And I pray that you will intervene our lives and in this world and that you will bring your kingdom here on earth we'll see as many people as possible come to know you through Jesus and be able to look forward to an eternity with you in heaven where all of these problems are long forgotten where we we look forward to that but right now we need your help ask for it in Jesus' name. Amen.